I think the very first question would be why are you going to pitch and to try and determine um, whether they should go ahead at all. Hi, I'm Darren Woolley, founder and CEO of Trinity P3 Marketing Management Consultancy, and welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Now, the agency pitch process has come under close scrutiny and vocal industry criticism, particularly during the recent pandemic when working remotely had placed additional pressure on agencies and their staff. This scrutiny and criticism led to the development and the launch of the Pitch Positive Pledge in the UK in 2022, jointly sponsored by the advertiser body ISBAR and the agency's IPA. Now, our guest today is ideally placed to discuss the impact of pitching on agencies. With a career working and managing agencies and consultancies, and being an experienced and respected executive coach, trainer, and mentor, not to mention a non-executive director and now the newest member of the team at Trinity P3 UK. Please welcome to Managing Marketing, Gina Lata. Welcome to Trinity P3, Gina. Thank you, Darren. I'm delighted to be here today. Well, look, it's a bit of a trick because you haven't just started. You know, I probably <laughs> welcomed you, a, well, it's just over a year ago, isn't it? That's right, yes. Where you made the leap from uh, a career as uh, poacher turned gamekeeper, as they say. I did You've indeed. come to the dark side. <laughs> yes, and what a journey it's been. Well, look, it's interesting because you do have quite an an interesting journey in advertising and not just, you know, mainstream advertising like, you know, you're at uh, Ogilvy Direct or Ogilvy One, but you've also worked for consultancies, you've run agencies. You know, it's been an interesting career. What got you into this originally? You know, did was it something that you wanted to work in marketing and advertising as a team Or did you sort of fall into it as so many people seem to have? I think, to be honest, um, at the end of my university career, I really didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. But uh, I very quickly realised, doing some research into it, that it was definitely advertising that I wanted to go into because it combined my love of um, literature and psychology um, and art. I felt that those three things really came together beautifully. So um, I joined OM Direct um, and absolutely loved it, fell into the career I really wanted to be in. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, and, and the fact that, you know, sort of you fell into it, but in a way it sort of found you, didn't it? It did indeed, yes. Yeah. Now, what about some of the consultancy roles you've had? Because uh, you haven't just had an agency-only career, have you? That's right. Um, I've worked uh, with a number of different clients, um, and one particular one that was very interesting was with uh, Nectar, the loyalty company. Um, I did some consultancy there, um, actually, when I was very heavily pregnant. Um, And um, that was fascinating because at that time I was working with um, data analysts um, who were, they were obviously very sophisticated in terms of uh, uh, what they could actually see in the data and uh, with target audiences. And I also did some work with Toyota when I was there. They actually wanted me to be part of um, 
uh, a pitching process they were going through. So I was part of the, the client panel, which again brought me huge insights, um, which I've been able to bring forward to um, the work that we're doing now. Oh, fantastic. What do you think is the big difference you know, from, from that experience between the agency perspective of pitching and the client perspective? You know, obviously, one is uh, looking to select the other, but uh, do you think there's uh, you know, real differences in this? I think just from what I have observed, I think there are times when agencies get really excited about what they're doing with the brief and want to go in and sell very heavily. And I think there can sometimes be a lack of um, listening to what the client is really saying, particularly um, in the actual sort of chemistry stages where maybe there's not as much conversation going on. There's not as um, many questions being asked by the agency um, where they could actually gain a lot more information from the client and therefore put themselves ahead in the next sort of stage. So I think there's possibly not enough dialogue it's more of a, a pitch even in a chemistry meeting yeah presentation we we see that a lot you know and and the trouble is they'll often come across as if they are pretending they know everything when in actual fact i don't think clients expect them at that stage to know everything in fact become quite cynical at that type of you know bravado in a way yes absolutely because how could an agency necessarily know their business as well as them. And I've, I've worked with a few people who, um, who have actually said the question, this sort of elephant in the room question by saying, look, I really don't know and I probably sound really stupid, but, and I think that gives them a, a lot of um, sort of credence. I think the client really respects that, the fact that they ask, are asking that question. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what brought you to then the interest in becoming an executive coach and uh, getting involved in training and and mentoring as well? I think that was when I was, um, throughout my career, I'd seen that the people management side of uh, the agency wasn't necessarily as good as it could be. Um, And I saw how many people got disappointed when their reviews were cancelled or just sort of bumped. Um, And I felt that the performance of people and therefore the output from the agency was so much better when people knew exactly what their objectives were, what they were aiming to do. It just meant that everybody had a map in terms of what they were actually working towards. So that's when I got very involved and made sure my teams had very clear objectives that they were working with and never cancelled or or very rarely um, uh, tried to cancel uh, a particular meeting with them because I knew how important it was, how they would have built themselves up to it. Um, And because of that, I just got really involved on on the people side. Um, When I was managing director at Grey Direct, uh, I was introduced to, I guess it was a selling system. It was um, the DISC uh, process whereby you could read people or you had different people's sort of personality styles. And I used that um, within all the agencies I was in in order to break down a lot of barriers between people. So it became a common language. And rather than one person saying, that person really annoys me, it was very much more about, oh, okay, they're a driver and that's why. So there was much more, um, it broke down a lot of the barriers, um, as I said, between sort of people. So I then really had two parallel careers going on. Um, At the same time, I I continued to develop the the sort of the coaching side, the people side. I did a a master's in coaching and behavior change, um, but continued the the advertising side as well or the communication side. So I've pretty much um, 
had those two careers in parallel as I've gone along, just because I feel they reinforce and um, complement one another. Look, and I think it's fantastic because, you know, all through my advertising career, which, you know, I'll admit was last century or last millennium, people would say, look, it's a people business. You know, you've got to be good with people if you work in this industry. But I don't think that those, those, you know, what do they call, I I hate the term, but soft skills, you know, those people skills are things that just happen innately. I mean, I think some people have... uh, better people skills, soft skills than others, but often without any sort of framework or structure or, you know, philosophy. And and having come from science, you know, I think having some sort of framework and understanding is really important because, you know, unless you can replicate the results, it's a little bit wishy-washy, isn't it? So I I really congratulate you on, you know, really identifying that and then going and finding the the training, the the education to be able to, you know, do it in a very professional way. No, thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Trinity P3. Well, we've seen it become come to the fore during the pandemic and not just in advertising, but in all industries, there was so much disruption, you know, but uh, suddenly people are working from home, there's isolation, you know, uh, mental health issues, physical health issues mm. really became front of mind for most employers. You know, at, at, at the early stages, because you, you didn't join us until, you know, towards the tail end of that, um, of, of the intense part of the pandemic. But during that time, were you acutely aware of how your training and experience with those people skills was becoming increasingly you know, sought after during that time? Um, it was, um, I was doing some sort of, um, uh, I've set up a business and certainly in my mind, it was having an impact on some of the people that I was working with. Um, their mental health and the importance of actually coming online and having the social side of it as well as the the work aspect was absolutely critical um, in order for them to know that there was a certain time that they were going to get together with all their colleagues Um, it was um, no it was really essential that something like that was actually happening the work side obviously very important um, you know to keep them going but but equally being able to have those discussions around um uh, you know, around uh, their lives, what was happening. You could see what was happening as well. And I think that's been a massive change, um, whether it's children going past or dogs. So there, there was a lot that I think that opened up people's lives to one another that normally wouldn't have been there and you wouldn't have known about. So again, I think filling out and fleshing out somebody's life um, around them was, um, was, was an important and positive part of it. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of, you know, for as um, challenging and as difficult as that, particularly the early stages of the pandemic when there was so much unknown, there's been some really positive things. I think one of them is workplace culture and this fundamental shift and uh, of bringing to the forefront the importance of maintaining employees' uh, mental and, and physical well-being has become such an important issue. It was certainly acknowledged in the past, 
But I think now we, we see it as such an intrinsic part. You know, almost every company, every agency that we deal with has this as an important part of the way they operate, don't they? Yes, they do. I think it's still, I think it's great as a, as a, as a topic, as a subject, as an area. And I know that um, a lot of people have, have put somebody in place to actually look after that. Um, whole air, uh, sort of topic but I think it's still there's a long way to go um, there's a long way to go I mean, I'm doing a qualification at the moment in uh, mental health first aid in the workplace and actually it's been amazing how some really basic stuff I was talking earlier about um, job titles or reviews and things like that just how important those things are with regard to mental health so I think it, it's brilliant and there's been a lot more focus on it but I think there's still a long way to go. Mm. So um, obviously you joined us at Trinity P3 UK and when we heard the announcement that uh, the IPA and ISBA were um, developing this pitch positive pledge, what was your impression when you first heard about it? I was really impressed by the fact that ISBA and the IPA had got together and had seen that this was such an important initiative, you know, particularly for... Um, the agencies that's always been around I think all the issues but I think the fact that ISBAR had got behind it as well um, you know as a, as a an organization representing um, all those all those clients um, that they've been able to work together to produce something like this I think was fantastic um, an initiative obviously coming out um, from uh, Julian's IPA presidency of a sort of 10x um, uh, mission or his Julie, Julian Douglas that is isn't it yes that's right sorry Julian yeah. Douglas yes yeah. <laughs> yeah so so you know perhaps for those people that are not aware of it and I'm not sure how they could be not aware what what's the basic premise of the pitch positive pledge um, well, the basic premises is there's sort of um, three um, that, that is to make sure that um, pitching itself is positive, and that's from a number of different areas. That's to make sure that a, a client um, is positive that they actually want to pitch. Um, ideally, what um, quite a different change I think is that um, the uh, the pledge is saying, are you positive that you need to pitch? Can you actually make it work with your existing agency? And that's, I think, quite a big shift in terms of where clients would be coming from. Making sure that it's a positive pitch um, so that the, the uh, agency is treated well, that they go through a number of different um, stages, that they provide the right information. Um, and then they actually give uh, the feedback at the end to make sure that it is a conclusion, that they've um, confirmed the budget and it's done so within a certain period of time. So there's sort of three different stages. Um, Yeah, because we've seen a lot of situations where, you know, I, I think many people think that pitching, you know, running a pitch from the marketer's perspective is relatively easy. You know, you just invite uh, an, uh, some agencies to uh, come and present their credentials. You, you choose the ones, give them a brief. They go away and work on it, come back with their creative, uh, choose the one that, you know, you like the best and... Uh, and negotiate a fee deal, you know. It, it, when you break it down, it sounds quite easy. But in actual fact, there's quite a lot of uh, stress and tension that can particularly be involved if it's not managed well, isn't it? Yes, I think very much so. And actually, um, 
it was quite interesting. I was reading something around the whole pitch positive pledge, which um, Mark Ritson had had talked about in terms of just looking at the um, the, the process or the briefing stage. Um, in as much as um, he was saying that there was a report, um, and it was saying that sixty six percent of clients um, feel that they did give a clear brief, whereas actually only thirty eight percent of agencies um, agree. So that's critical, obviously, as a starting point in terms of um, a pitch. And it's something I think we as intermediaries see. Um, and that's the benefit of getting having an intermediary involved is actually to make sure that the, the brief is really strong when it actually goes in. Um, because the whole process of the pitching and then if that work is used afterwards, it's critical that the actual brief is right from the start and is clear. Trinity P3. I remember um, the, we were running a number of pitches uh, back in early 2020, uh, in you know, March 2020, when suddenly you know, we had to quarantine, there was no face-to-face meetings anymore, and uh, in one weekend we had to completely pivot. Uh, the, two of the pitches went on indefinite hold, but the other two had specific deadlines, and in one weekend we had to totally pivot the way that we were running the pitch process from face-to-face meetings to re- uh, remote video conferencing. Uh, and it was it was really interesting because a lot of what we we're thinking about was how do we fulfil the needs of the marketers to get a very clear understanding without making it particularly onerous on the agencies having to coordinate teams remotely. And and one of the things we did was break some of the bigger meetings that might go for two or three hours into a succession of much smaller meetings of, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, but have more of them with each of the agencies as a way of dealing with that. It's interesting that that impact that um, remote pitching has, uh, has actually had. Yes, absolutely. Have you seen something similar? Yes, I think in terms of the yeah the the process, I think um, if I think back to where before the sort of pandemic, when strangely in terms of technology, and I don't know why we didn't do it, but you weren't using um, sort of cameras at all. It was all audio, and obviously so much of if you're talking about training or anything else, that that how important it is to actually be able to sort of see people. Um, to be online that longer and have the technology, I think that breaking it down into different stages, I think has really helped the whole pitching process by going from the selection um, and, and then the, uh, the chemistry session and then the actual um, workshop as, uh, as we do it. Now, the Pitch Positive Pledge asks people to actually sign up, doesn't it? And, and to, to then comply with a set of principles or standards. That's right. Yes. And in fact, um, when it actually launched on the 11th of May, there were 70 companies who'd actually signed up and now they're up to about 300, which is fantastic. That's agencies and uh, and clients. Yeah, that's fantastic. Of course, Trinity P3 is one of those signatories. Of course, we were there in the formulation of it, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, 
from your perspective, what is it that um, that you know, What's the role of the advertisers in actually fulfilling this? What are the types of things that advertisers need to be thinking about if they're going to fulfil the obligations of a pitch positive pledge from their perspective? I think some of the biggest things that came up when we were discussing this um, with uh, with uh, Julian Douglas and Andrew Loudon right at the start was that it needs to be taken up to quite a senior level if a pitch is actually going to go ahead. It needs to be signed off by quite a senior person um, if, if they are going to actually um, pitch a piece of business and whether it is ne- necessary. Trinity P3. You really do need the buy-in from the CEO. You know, I, I think I shared with you uh, once that... Uh, were running a pitch at standing outside the agency ready for the first presentation and uh, the the CMO received a phone call uh, and was ashen-faced to, to tell me afterwards that that was the CEO saying, stop the pitch process, I've just sold the business. Um, oh and, uh, and I said, did you know this was happening? And they said, no idea, you know. Um, You'd have to question that if uh, the business was on the market, I'm not sure why they were actually pitching for new agencies. You know, it didn't seem... So, yeah, yes, absolutely, getting that alignment. I guess it's also for marketers to think about what it is that they're asking of their agencies and whether it's reasonable and needed as part of the selection process. Because, you know, we hear all sorts of horror stories about... Uh, the demands of clients during uh, a pitch process, you know, short deadlines that force the agencies to work weekends, uh, you know, burning uh, uh, the candle, the the, uh, midnight oil, uh, you know, just to meet some of these ridiculous deadlines. That that would have to be part of it, wouldn't it? Yes, very much so. I think it's one of those things where, and we all know those um, stories whereby the, the client has sort of, in theory, swanned off for the weekend and left the agency working, whether that's over bank holiday weekends or Christmas um, or summer holidays. So, But I think actually having this um, pitch positive pledge, that's one of the things that um, they talk about, that, that, that if there are issues, then the, the, the agency can actually go back to that and say this is the pledge this is what we've all sort of signed up for so they've got something to actually refer to yeah um and certainly as intermediaries it's been very useful for us to be able to refer back to that and most of the time i think clients are very reasonable about extending those deadlines to make sure they're getting quality work yeah i'm not sure that clients ever set out to torture their agencies <laughs> or impact their uh, mental health in a negative way no. but sometimes it's just a lack of awareness that's a yeah, a simple request could have significant impacts on agency staff because you know one of the things i've always found is a lot of marketers think that the agency has people just sitting around waiting for the pitch to come in and not realising that all of those people actually have a full-time job looking after their uh, existing clients and that pitching something that you do often after hours. You know, it's it's why uh, pizza and beer is the sort of (laughs) food associated with being at work and working on a pitch or working on a Sunday afternoon to get it done, isn't it? 
Absolutely, yes. And I think we've all we've we've all been there. And I think the pressure has come on even further now, given that um, communication is so much faster. I remember the early days; there was um, there was a little bit more time um, involved. But I mean, it, it was still you were under the cosh, um, you know. Well, you, especially you, if they were faxing the brief through. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone gets. <laughs> now everyone gets the all staff email, you know, so everyone knows what has to be done right now. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so that's from a, a, an advertiser's point of view. One of the things is that procurement has become heavily involved in running and managing pitches or or tenders, as they'll often uh, yes. refer to them. And one of the things that we noticed is this idea that at the end of every contract, procurement will say that the marketers have to go to pitch, which has meant that, you know, in the past, an agency might have the client for six or more years, but now every three years, because most of the contracts are three-year contracts, um, the client has to go to pitch, even if they're absolutely happy with their incumbent agency. You know, and and yeah. yet all of the numbers show that the it's one of the worst ways of testing your incumbent agency because it, they have a very small chance of winning the business. It was that addressed at all as part of the pitch positive pledge? This idea of just routinely pitching your agencies every couple of years, and do you think it should be? Absolutely. I mean, I think within the um, uh, pitch positive pledge, I think it's that question of that that initial question of do you really need to pitch um but if you're talking contractually i've i've it's worked both ways for me where even from a governmental point of view it's been down there saying you have to pitch and because of the way we've worked with them and where we've been at the time that we've been working with them it hasn't gone to pitch um so even though contractually i think it can be written in in stone depending on where the agency actually is with a with with the client it can actually vary um as part of the pitch positive pledge i guess it's that big question of you know should you be pitching in the first place yeah and you know i know governments will often have a policy that says that they have to tender after a certain period of time but a lot of commercial enterprises it's it's nothing more than you know a a good to do or good governance Yes, but the the issue that worries me is the number of times marketers, when we've had this conversation about including the incumbent, oh, we have to include the incumbent because you know we're testing to see if they're competitive, and I say it, this is the worst way of doing it. This mm-hmm. is like testing your your relationship. You know, imagine in a marriage if after every three years. One partner came home and said, we've got a great marriage, but I just need to go out and date other people for a few months and then come back and date you to see if I'm still committed. You know, like, yes. really? <laughs> you know, if you're going out of this relationship, you're pretty much looking for something new. Yes. Because it's very hard in that, in that dynamic for the incumbent to be able to wildly offer the, the allure of the possibility of a new relationship in any way that uh, is, you know, believable or meaningful. You know, if your partner suddenly starts becoming, you know, incredibly uh, accommodating, you go, well, why didn't you do that for the last three years? 
Yes, exactly. I think it's really hard. I think unless it's, it is a sort of governance that's dictating it, you have to question why um, a pitch is happening anyway. And I think um, it is very hard for, a, for an incumbent to come back and win. Not to say it hasn't happened. I've been in an agency where that did happen. And in fact, the board said, oh, who's the new agency? And it's just like, well, actually, it's the agency we already have. Uh, the numbers say it's one in four. Yeah. You know, the ch- you can win it, but you've got yes. a one in four chance. And yet when I've discussed this with marketers, oh, no, the incumbent knows our business better than anyone. Well, that would be great, except it's the least uh, effective way of winning the business is yes. because you know the business. In fact, knowing the business often works against the incumbent because they know what the client can and cannot accommodate and is not going to offer them something that, you know, that they know just won't cut it. That's right. Yes, they know what some of the limitations can be in terms of what they can get through. No, it can be very difficult. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, procurement uh, should be looking at this pitch positive pledge as an opportunity of rethinking the way they use pitching because they probably think of it as it's just another business process. But in actual fact, if you're pitching your agency every three years, that's putting a huge drain not only on the agency but all the other agencies that you're inviting into that process. Absolutely. And and even, again, if they are thinking just of themselves, if they look at their own people, what that's actually putting them through. And financially, which obviously procurement are very um, uh, keen to look at the numbers, how long that's how much that's actually costing them before they um, start reaping the rewards, if that's going to take sort of six months to bed the new agency in and to, for the time that that will take those pe- their own people to actually do that. Yeah. Now, um, what about intermediaries? Or I said consultants, but uh, I believe in London the pitch consultants are all intermediaries, That's of which right. there's probably one on every corner, isn't there? There seems <laughs> to be so many intermediaries in London town. A few, a few, yes. <laughs> Well, what's the role that they have? You know, when the, those, and I imagine mo- almost all of them would have signed up to this. Oh yes, very much so. And the majority of them were involved in the formulation of the pitch positive pledge, uh, working with Isbar and with um, the IPA um, at the very initial stages in terms of what they felt, pooling their knowledge in terms of what did or didn't work, uh, where there were problems, and where there um, could, where there were opportunities. Trinity P3. What's the role that the intermediaries have in the, the you know, supporting the pitch positive pledge? What, what should they be considering when they're actually, uh, you know, advising their clients? I think the very first question would be, why are you going to pitch? And to try and determine um, whether they should go ahead at all. Um, where, with those particular questions, which is, is it a new brief? Or is it um, a new agency that you need and your current uh, agency doesn't have those um, particular disciplines? Um, is it that uh, it's through governance? Um, uh, is it through a number of different things that they might need to, that where it's a, a new challenge as opposed to something that their existing agency could um, could actually cover? Um, one of the things that uh, annoys me is how many uh, pitches, and particularly consultant-run pitches, uh, for creative default to speculative creative. You know, here's the brief. We're not really going to give you the access to the client that you would have 
if you were their agency. But, yeah, see what ideas you come up with. And on the media side, it's like here's our uh, proposed media spend. Tell us how cheap you can buy media so that we can compare your rates to someone else. You know, these are very outdated and, and, you know, in most cases fairly useless unless you're only in the market to buy a campaign or only think of media as a commodity to be bought by the kilo. Um, you know, is that has that been discussed in the development of the Pitch Positive Pledge? Are they looking for alternatives to making agencies do a whole lot of you know, work for nothing? I think that was the sort of beauty parade that we've discussed in the past. And I think that, that sort of initial upfront, do you actually need to pitch and why you need to pitch as part of the Pitch Positive Pledge, ideally cancels that whole area out unless they particularly want to buy into a big idea and that will therefore be very clear and upfront that that's what they want to do and then that would be up to the agencies as to whether they want to do that otherwise i think it is very much more about building up a relationship and having if you are going through the pitch process having a, a, a real brief um that is actually going to be worth something when you actually get to the other side of it and again if there is uh, creative, which sometimes it is about some of the strategy as opposed to actually producing creative itself um, uh, and, and and workshopping yeah. it. Yeah, because as you know, you know, we've been uh, running uh, strategic workshops as part of the uh, selection process. And, you know, all of the clients say that the best part about it is, is as it is as close as you can get to test driving an agency. And the agencies uh, love the fact that it's as close as they'll ever get to finding out what it's like working with that client without actually being appointed. It's, uh, it's quite amazing how effective it is at revealing you know, exactly what that experience would be like. Because I think agencies are very good at presenting themselves. But the thing about the workshop is it's not a presentation. It is actually a roll the sleeves up get in and work together on a big juicy problem, isn't it? Absolutely. I think that's been a massive, um, it, very interesting on that. Just as a very concept, um, the clients that we've talked to have been excited about the fact that it, it's a test drive and it's a, it's a workshop as opposed to a presentation. And then actually going through the process, both the agency and the clients have fed back to us how, um, how positive that whole process is from the agency's point of view as well, to get to know um, what the client's actually going to like, be like and what the chemistry is between them. Um, and as a different experience, rather than just having to do, um, not rather than just having to do, but doing a presentation, actually to really get involved in the client's business and the client for themselves to be able to walk away and really be comfortable with the fact that they know which agency is going to be their partner going forward. Yeah, it's it's always uh, fascinating for me when we introduce that technique into a new market, how the agencies struggle because they're so used to years and years of presenting that suddenly, you know, what you're asking is to drop the mask and drop the performance and just be real. For some agencies, it's really difficult because they're so trapped in the, the showman, the, the, the theatre, you know, dazzle the client. And, and win them over. And in actual fact, this uh, this takes a lot of that away from them. It does. It was amazing, actually, but on a recent um, uh, 
project that we had that you could see some of the agencies who were a bit more old school, shall we say, and they were doing a three to four hour presentation, whereas um, people who were a little bit more fleet of foot had done reasonable amount of presentation before, or, or work beforehand, but then it was very much a discussion, a dialogue, um, and they'd really warmed to this new way of actually doing something, which was a, a lot more interactive and had a lot more flow to it. Yeah. Look, uh, it's, it's great that uh, you been taking a real leadership uh, position on this uh, pitch positive pledge from Trin the perspective of Trinity P3. I, I really want to acknowledge and thank you for uh, for you know, getting involved and and really help shaping it, uh, and also bringing that those insights back to the company. Uh, I think it's been fantastic, Jenny. No, not at all. Thank you very much, Darren. We've really enjoyed it. Time's just got away from us. It's been great having this conversation. Um, I guess there's information on the Pitch, Pitch Positive Pledge, obviously on the ISBAR and the IPA website, isn't there, if people want to read more? Yes, there is indeed. And in fact, they've, they've got a really good structure in terms of the three different stages. It's well worthwhile um, clients and agencies going to have a look at that. Fantastic. Well, Gina, thank you. Welcome again to Trinity P3 UK. It's great having you as part of the team. Thank you, Darren. Oh, look, I have one question before you go, and that is, um, you know, what what was it? What was your experience like, or your worst experience, in being on the agency side during a pitch? Mm-hmm.